Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Ryan Mesh, who serves as the director of LUS Fiber, a municipal fiber provider in Lafayette, Louisiana. We talk about the digital divide in Lafayette, why the city chose a municipal broadband model, how it's funded, and how it works. We also discuss LUS Fiber's expansion plans and what the company needs from Washington, D.C. to successfully serve the community. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So to start off, can you give me a bit of history behind LUS Fiber and how the community in Lafayette ended up with a municipal network? So LUS was initially a electric water and wastewater provider. Uh, I believe they've been in service for, I think, 125 years. Um, wow. Yes, it's been, it's been a while. <laughs> they're, they're strong that they just served the city of Lafayette in the early 2000s the electric division needed to connect their substations and other critical facilities. So they actually went and utilized the utility poles and connected these critical infrastructure with fiber. So we had a small communications team building out to electric facilities that needed connections. Um, And around 2004, we had our mayor who heard about this initiative of doing fiber to the home. So that took a little bit of momentum. It took a, you know, some, he, he, was, he wasn't scared to, to kind of ask the question. So in 2004, the goal wasn't for LUS to provide the fiber to the home. It was just for the community to have access to fiber to the home. So the, uh, the council members, the mayor started meeting up with, you know, our large incumbent saying, what's Lafayette's path forward? Um, and I, I think a lot of people can relate to the, the, the typical response is, we have it taken care of. This is our specialty. We will make sure you don't get left behind. Uh, thankfully, and as I have this position here, um, they didn't accept that. And we continue to move forward. So we said, okay, we're going to do our own. We're going to go and get a feasibility study. We're going to figure it out what it costs to build. And let's move this forward. But before we could really get too much momentum, there was something that was being passed called the Fair Competition Act. So just like every other state, there's, there's a lot of barriers to, in, to, to entry to get into municipally owned broadband. So the Fair Competition Act was unique in that it required feasibility study, a vote of the people, um, and we have to do yearly ad test audits. Uh, there's some other rules stating that, you know, there's no cross-subsidization, which absolutely fair that that should be in there. We should not be propped up by, you know, our, our electric counterpart. Um, so, but in 2005, we went to the vote of the people and they voted 62% yes to do a fire to the home initiative. Wow. Then we were, had a few lawsuits that came up uh, <laughs> on behalf of the incumbents. Sure. Uh, and, and in 2007, the Louisiana Supreme Court ruled 7-0 in favor of LUS to dismiss those lawsuits. We were able to go out for bonds, uh, over $100 million to build out the city of Lafayette. The city of Lafayette has about I want to say 125,000 people, about uh, 50,000 or so homes passed, about 16,000 multi-tenant apartments. So 2007, we, we went, we bid out. 2008, we started construction. And late 2008, early 2009, we served our first customer. Uh, 
that is an amazing backstory. That that's really incredible that you were able to pull that off. Um, and sixty eight percent of the public uh, did that take uh, a there was some campaign. What? Yeah. yeah. Yes, there were there were a lot of power to the home advocates, and it's mm-hmm. and it. Our goal wasn't to go and take over an industry. It was just to provide a level playing field, increase that competition, lower prices, advanced yeah. technology, and one of our initial goals and something that we still maintain to is still be 20% cheaper. Mm-hmm. So affordability was big for us and just from the, the, the onset of it, you know, you, you can provide a great product, but if it's, if you can't afford it, then it doesn't do the community any good. Right. Right. And what are your, what are your prices today and, and at what speeds? Our prices range from, we have a three meg package just to, you know, just to, to kind of bridge that gap. If you can't afford it at you know $20 a month, Mm-hmm. Up to ten gig, uh, up and down for two ninety nine ninety five. Gotcha. Okay, great. And so, what was the? You mentioned that the incumbents said, "Don't worry, we'll take care of everything, so you don't have to make a network of your own." Um, what was the state of Lafayette's internet um, before uh, you guys said, "No, we're going to do it ourselves"? It, expensive, unreliable, slow. I want to say maybe a lot of DSL still yeah. then, um, and they didn't have to upgrade their infrastructure because they were only a few people in the game. So they were kind of making, you know, a lot of dollars. And what we saw was as soon as we went in and started providing service, they started providing discounted rates anywhere where we had a footprint and they were passing on higher rates outside of our service territory. So they were still, you know, they I understand they, they run their business in a certain manner. We don't, we don't do that. We provide the same rates across the board. Um, you know, and we're just a different driven, you know, we don't have a board of investors, uh, that we have to report to. We don't, we don't have a lot of middle management. You know, we, we maintain very lean with our goal of serving the community. Right. So you've been in, in service now. What did you say? You started up 2007 officially? 2008, 2008. late 2008, 2009 was kind of in between. So it's been a bit, so you know, yeah. 12 years. So how many, um, customers do you have, uh, around now 25,000 25,000 okay right great. And so wow. and so we had bond obligations to pay back our debt service um <clears throat> so once we got to a comfortable point so day one we had one customer with you know 100 plus million dollars in debt uh so it was right. a, a race to go and get that revenue up you know and that was back in the day for us we were negotiating our own video contracts with you know the time warners the big guys it's not until we got into a, a, a cooperative with a whole bunch of smaller uh, telcos and ISPs to increase our borrowing or increase our negotiating power. So okay. we were getting our video rates lower. There was a lot of lessons learned. And then as we saw our revenue increase, our expenses have continued to level off. And in 2017, we had some extra capital dollars and we decided to take the risk to what was a risk for us because we tried to stay low key to not be overly disruptive. You know, we just went through this whole spill of lawsuits. Last thing yeah. we wanted to do was cause disruption, but we felt it was necessary because the what we have is parishes as opposed to counties. But the rest of the parish of Lafayette was underserved. In 2017, we, we started to reach out to other to other cities in the parish and, you know, 40, 50% take rates uh, on that side. And it was just, what we see now is that the competition is, now they're getting lower rates. Now they're putting in some more fiber. So it's a win for everybody. You know, we're able to coexist in this space 
and we're able to provide a, a great service, uh, residential business, uh, and just serve everybody that, 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 that needs it. So let's talk a little bit more about that pushback from the incumbents, because there are definitely a lot of misconceptions out there intentionally about municipal networks. So I'd love to give you a chance to clear some of them up. Um, So, you know, two big ones are that governments don't have the skills to provide broadband services uh, and the other and that they're a drain on taxpayers resources. So uh, obviously, I suspect you disagree with those things. But so how do you refute those arguments? And why is LUS, in your view, a a better option than uh, one of these incumbents that said, you know, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it? I think it's a lot of reasons. I think we were fortunate. I do think each municipally owned broadband company does need to look at what their workforce is. You know, we were future forward. We were we were bleeding edge with, with what we went with. We didn't we didn't realize it. You know, with some of the technology we, we went out with, but we had the workforce there. You know, we have a large university here. We're fortunate to have a great engineering school. There's a passion. You know, whenever you're able to go and pick up that phone and you have your neighbor being the tech support that that's grown, you know, and a lot of these incumbents, they did train up some of this workforce and they're, we can get them. And that's what actually we're currently working on right now. And I'll, I'll circle back to that of a business working in a competitive environment. But your second piece on uh, tax dollars, zero tax dollars. We are 100% funded by our revenue. Okay. So there is no subsidization. There is nothing on that side. If if we don't sign up the customers and get our expenses low, we have to, we have bond we have we have debt services we meet it we exceed it and if you look at us on a balance sheet a lot of times our numbers and our and our and our profits and our margins are better than the big guys with AT&T and the Coxes and the, the they're able they like to point out when this this company is getting into an area they don't need to be in we're in there because it was a necessity and now we're we're doing very well you know we have over a 95% customer satisfaction rate it's a different level of service it's a different type of service um, then, then they're able to provide. Maybe it's because we're we're smaller, we're we're into the community, but it, it, there's there's a passion that comes along with it. Uh, but we are 100% funded by our own revenues, uh, so that that says a lot that, that we are standalone and uh, and our success. And that's been the case from day one. From day one. Okay. Day well, one. then that that takes care of that argument. That's for sure. <laughs> Very quickly. <laughs> Um, so I'm curious to what extent being a municipal provider also allows you to interface with other parts of the local government that have a lot to do with um, broadband access. For example, public health is impacted by broadband access. Education is impacted. So um, does being a municipal ISP allow you to collaborate with other public agencies in ways that private ISPs maybe wouldn't? What's that like for you guys? I guess we have the the burden of being a publicly owned company, a government entity with our own unique government hurdles that have to operate in a competitive industry. So our success is is just that much more to shine a light on because we have to overcome a lot more. Whenever whenever you have to go through, you know, such things as civil service, uh, you know, that that's a specific hiring process, you know, but what we're doing to leverage that piece is, uh, since, since my time as director, we're actually going to go and change that and continue to, to operate more like a business. And the fact that we're, we're looking at the ability to do pay for performance, uh, upward growth, creating more positions. You do have to shift your mindset that it's not 
you know, it's not a public works job where you just need so many man hours. It's accountability. And that's that's what we've been able to be successful is because we continue to shift and you continue to grow. So it's having the right leaders that are going to attract the talent, know what's important to grow it, get the right visionary in there and also fulfill the needs of your employees. And then where we don't have an advantage in the fact is that people would think we have like maybe undue advantage because we're public you know, public to public. Well, a lot of times those private guys have, for lack of a better term, a stronghold on some of these facilities. So for example, the school boards, they have these big guys who come in, take advantage of those E-rate fundings, able to go lower, able to be, you know, a little more this and that. And we don't have that. You know, we, we get a yearly ad test audit that they don't get. They don't have to produce their financials. They can go and give a rate this to this guy, to this guy. Every rate we produce has to be justified. And the justification can't be because that's because they offer it. So what we did do is, and I think this is, is, is a big kudos to us, is that during the pandemic, our local school system identified over 10,000 students who didn't have access to internet. So we came together with the other incumbents and we were one of the only ones that was willing to go and say, look, we don't need this government subsidy. So there's these government subsidies, Lifeline, BB, uh, which is more recent, they only wanted to do within the confines of that because they wanted their reimbursement. Because we're community driven, we thought it was important for us to go to get that discount service, get them connected to a fiber connection. And we, we connected thousands of students like that without the additional hurdles. So we we're able to shift quickly and our priority was the community. And that's a huge difference. And we, we passed it on to our students and we're continuing to work with the school boards out there to go and make sure we don't leave any student behind. Whenever we say we want to bridge the digital divide, it's because we truly do. We want to be able to have digital equity. We want to be able to have affordability. That's been our goal since day one, and it'll continue to be so. And a lot of munis have that mindset. It's, it's a different business model. And that's why they're really, they're, they're loved by their, their area. Um, and it's not just a price point. Now, there, there may be times where we are a little bit higher, but the level of service you get also speaks volumes as well. Right. Yeah. So just to round things out, then, um, do you have any expansion plans for, for this year or next year? Um, and how dependent are those plans on what ultimately comes out of Washington, D.C.'s broadband legislation? And um, lastly, how are you coping with uh, supply shortages? OK, so I'll, I'll take over expansion. So sure. right now we typically do about one to one and a half to two million dollars because we have some extra capital dollars at the end of the year that we go and we reach out to neighborhoods and we expand our, our, our sites. Um, recent expansion is that we're actually going outside of our parish. We want an EDA grant to go and serve a different area, actually to big regional airport. It was $3 million with a 20% match. Very competitive, getting a lot of underserved businesses. Um, we're gonna go to a, a large university research facility that's extremely underserved that this kind of just forgotten about. Um, mm -hmm. So our narrative was that whenever we apply for the grant is that communities who don't have access to quality broadband are the communities that are going to be left behind. Right. So we're going to fill that hole. We're working with them. It's, it's federal dollars. It's, it's been interesting in the, in their requirements. We were, I think we were a little overzealous in how easy it would be. <laughs> that is difficult. It's just, we thought we could have moved through the steps quicker. Like we have like, okay. all the people works here. They're like, well, can you do this. We're like, absolutely. It's here wait two more weeks. So that has been a slight delay. Sure. Um, also, we're, uh, we feel confident that we applied for an NTIA grant. 
that just recently uh, got submitted. And we're reaching, we're going to go north to a community called Ville Platte with the, the fifth slowest broadband in the nation. Wow. Okay. So that... we were the only ones in the states even apply for it. Okay. Because so you nobody, feel good even about... with federal dollars, nobody wanted to apply to these communities. So we're going to, we're going to go and we're going to grow that footprint right there. And we're going to grow the surrounding areas. So you were the only ISP in the state to apply for that grant, the NTIA grant. That's correct. Well, we, there was another smaller one called Allen's Cable because we want to go and have the the private part of it too. They were the only ones willing to to really go into discussions to serve that area. Mm -hmm. So the only one in the state, only application. So we'll find out in the next couple of weeks if we got it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a large ask. Um, We're going to have to revolt if you don't get it. That's because we. There's already a lot of, uh, because it was the only one, there's a lot of large providers that are trying to say that it's, that it's not needed. Uh, Yeah. No. Yeah. You heard it here first, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) They need it. They do. It's lowest. And they're having, what they're seeing is, number one, their, their students couldn't work from home. They couldn't, they couldn't consume their lessons, even though there was a provider in the area and not to knock them, their business plan was different than, than others. They had fiber to the school everywhere, but it was only to the school. It wasn't serving residential. It wasn't serving the businesses. So a community can say, or a company can say, well, we have fiber. Don't worry about it. But how are you serving that area? And that's what we're going to do. So we're going to, everywhere we pass in front of, we will serve that. So we're going to continue to grow that, grow that footprint, grow, grow the need. And it it could pick up a, a good, it'll, it'll bring, you know, Louisiana's a last in a lot of things. If LUS has anything to do with it, it won't be speed or access nice. to the quality broadband. Yeah. Uh, we've had large people like school mint come to the area. We have Amazon that just relocated here. It wasn't solely, which I could say it was for LUS fiber, but their big piece is that because there was LUS fiber there with quality broadband that was affordable, their work, their workforce could work from home and therefore, the site became one of those that they could choose from. So we're deciding who's going to, who's going to stay there, whose kids are going to stay there and not move out, what businesses are going to relocate there and how, how are our our kids and our future generations going to access learning? And I know I asked multi-part questions, so I confuse everyone, but do you have supply issues with your fiber? We're starting to see little by little supply issues. And what we're doing is, as long as it's corning fiber, we're investigating, you know, other pieces. And what we're doing is we're just ordering much larger quantities than we typically would. Right. Uh, for for there's a conduit, there's a conduit problem with, I guess, one of the, the, the reason or raising uh, plants that actually in Lake Charles, Louisiana had burned down. We're catching up on that. But we're just going with other vendors, testing them out and just trying to keep on track. All right. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you, Ryan. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I'll be bothering you again because it sounds like you're up to a lot of great stuff. (laughs) We are. And hopefully we can have a a kickoff of us win this NTIA. Exactly. Yes. It it better happen, NTIA. All right. Yes, we told them. Yes. Thank you again so much, Ryan, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.